that's love. Love also fights for the protection of all. And so this action part of love is that sometime into love, we have to take a right action. Now that's tough, that's conflict, but that's talking about love. And there are times we get to that place, we have to make tough decisions because of love. That's what it looks like. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Corey Nathan, hosting again here today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the God Squad series, Love Thy Neighbor, No Exceptions. <laughs> I love that title because it immediately gets you thinking, really, no exceptions? Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Village Squarecast is part of the Democracy Group a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. Love thy neighbor, no exceptions. <laughs> Does the exhortation to love one's neighbor really come without exceptions? Must churches welcome white nationalists, gay couples, January 6th sympathizers, Black Lives Matter activists? Is everyone my neighbor? And what does love really mean? Joining us for God Squad are Father Tim Holita from the Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More, Pastor Joe Davis Jr. of Truth Gatherers Community Church, Scott Martin of Element 3 Church, and Stephanie Posner of Temple Israel. This program is masterfully and joyfully facilitated by Pastor Latricia Scriven of St. Paul's United Methodist Church. So without further ado, here's Pastor Latricia with Love Thy Neighbor, no exceptions. <laughs> Greetings, everybody. I am Latricia Scriven. I get to serve as the pastor of St. Paul's United Methodist Church, where we worship, grow, serve, share, and give with joy. Yes, with joy. Um, and I am thrilled and excited, y'all, to be here for this conversation. And so now let's get introduced to our panel. I'm Father Tim Holita from the Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More. I'm Stephanie Posner from Temple Israel. I'm Scott Martin from Element 3 Church. Uh, Joseph Davis from Truth Gathers Dream Center. All right, thank you everybody. Um, we're gonna jump right in because an hour is really not a whole lot of time. Um, and we are going to leave time for questions at the end. I want to begin um, first by saying, acknowledging, recognizing. I don't know if you all know that this weekend, particular tomorrow, has been deemed by some as a day of hate. And the groups organizing are white supremacists, neo-Nazis, and so there are entire cities that are on very high alert for tomorrow. Um, you can actually Google it, it is there. And so what a time to be having this conversation around who is my neighbor when this is happening simultaneously this weekend. All right, so. 
In my former life, I was a math professor, and I recognized that all equations that seem simple are not always easy. So love thy neighbor seems like a very simple equation, and I found that breaking it down into parts is sometimes helpful. So I want to start with the question, what is love? Ooh, what is love and what does it mean to love? And in any order you'd like to go. Oh, okay. I guess I'll start. <laughs> uh, well, I think to ask that question, we have to be a little more clear. In, in Greek, their love is there's four types of love, right? And um, C.S. Lewis has a great book about that called The Four Loves. Um, and so we have to decide, like, when we say love, we use that word in English interchangeably. So, like, I love Whataburger. You know, I love FSU football, I love my mom, I love God. Like, what does that all mean? I obviously love my mom differently than I love Whataburger, right? Um, in, a different, in a different mode, but maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. I really love Whataburger. So, <laughs> bacon cheeseburger, mayonnaise, yeah, the whole works. So, um, there's, it's, it, we have to define what we mean by love. So, I think if, if I'm going to just cut out the entire explanation of all that and just go straight to it, I think... When we speak, in, at least as a Christian, from a Catholic perspective, then I look to what Jesus says love is. And he says to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love others as I have loved you. And then following that in John 15, he says, no greater love is this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Um, and so to me, that's what love looks like. Is a, a love is self-gift. Uh, it's giving of oneself. It's selfless. St. Paul defines it in, in Corinthians as well in the same way. So that's what I would say. At least one, if we're speaking of in the religious sense, that's what, I, that's what love means for me. Okay. I'll go next. Um, so in the Talmud, we're told about, in, in context of love thy neighbor, which actually we could go a little OG and I could translate the actual we'll Hebrew that. for you, but we'll get that. Um, but to love as a deep soul love. And so it's a level of commitment and energy that we give to other people because we see the divine in them um, and that we give to ourselves because we're taught to love others as we love ourselves. And sometimes when we love ourselves, we gotta look pretty deep and hard too. So it's a really strong commitment. It's well said, I'm just going down the line. Uh, that's, both, both those topics are great. I'll just add in, uh, as a marriage counseling, oftentimes I'll talk about the golden rule, treat others the way they want to be treated or love others the way they want to be, you'd want to be treated. But the silver rule I often say is treat others the way that they would want to be treated. So I may want something in terms of a relationship that would be love, but I also have to take in consideration how someone else wants to be loved, and it could be totally opposite. And it works well in marriage counseling. We, we get a couple fights on that question, that topic there when we do that. Yeah, what a um, challenging start. <laughs> I think, I was thinking about it, um, of course, I think love is when you have goodwill towards another person and for yourself. But it also made me think that love is both simple and complex. I think it's simple when love is convenient and it, fit, it fits our experience and what we are accustomed to. Love is simple, but love is also complex. Um, even the Bible 
doesn't just say love is this. Uh, First Corinthians gives about at least eight to 12 things about what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, love is, it doesn't say love is one thing. So I think love at many times it is very complex and challenging and that's the reason why we're talking today. It is. All right, so speaking of that, um, in my faith tradition, there is a story of a person who is a lawyer, an expert in the law. And he comes to Jesus and he's like, you know, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, it's easy. Well, Jesus doesn't say it's easy. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then this expert in the law says, all right, Jesus, well, what does it mean? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell this story that involves a person that's been robbed and beaten and people who are on the way, people who walk by, the individual that helps. So I want to ask the panel, who is my neighbor? Because we are talking about love thy neighbor. I mean, who is my neighbor? Anyone can start. I don't know. I always ask that question, and because of the, from a Christian perspective and Bible, when I read it, it made me think your neighbor is everybody. That's the definition, not the person next door. And so I just consider my neighbor to be everybody because everybody is connected to somebody. And so I've just made it easy and say my neighbor is everybody. Hey, neighbors. Love that. Uh, what I look at that passage, I always find fascinating is we don't hear much more about the priests or the Levite. We just assume they go on their way and do whatever they're told. And I always feel like they have some sort of self-trisis. Oh, I did good because I didn't impact. I didn't touch that unclean person, that Samaritan sitting there. All, all this, not a Samaritan, that person. We don't know who the person is. I didn't engage with that person. So they had kind of a self-preservation of their sense of who they were. And Jesus points out that it is the Samaritan who is, treats the other person like a neighbor. And he goes outside of what the culturally acceptable rules are. And so I have to take that and saying, who do I feel like is an outsider in terms of my perspective? Uh, maybe someone who I would never think about sharing a meal with or never share, think about celebrating some sort of holiday with. But everyone, according to that parable, is a neighbor and I just have to challenge myself to redefine my paradigms of what normal, it's hard to do quotations with a microphone, normal is in terms of relationship. So you got time for a Hebrew lesson and a story? Yes, we do. Okay. So um, we also have a story in our tradition about Rabbi Hillel from first century who, um, and it, that story is told several different ways. In one way, it's a Roman soldier. In one way, it's somebody who's converting. Um, but they ask, actually, two different rabbis, but Hillel's the one that answers appropriately. He said, teach me the Torah. Teach me the entire Torah standing on one foot. Here's the fun part. Let's see if I can do it. Do not do unto others as you would not have done unto you. The rest is commentary. But the reason I tell you that is because Rabbi Hillel gives a different interpretation to somebody who has not studied Torah and has not learned the translations and everything because the actual text says, V'yahavta l'reacha kamocha, l'reacha, unto your brother, okay? So that's different than your neighbor, right? 
But aren't we all brothers and sisters? They forgot the sisters. Yeah. <laughs> but we knew what they meant. Um, but, but also we know that we are told in Jewish tradition, and you see it right in the Torah, that we are told as, as, you should love the, the stranger as you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. Sorry, I'm trying to translate Hebrew to English. It's not working very well. Um, but that's how we know that everyone is our brother, is because we treat everybody like we wanted to be treated when we were strangers in, in the land of Egypt. So everyone is our brother, but that's why. Okay. Yeah, I would totally agree with everyone. Um, obviously, everyone's our neighbor. I, I think what's fascinating about this, this uh, story of the Good Samaritan um, that Jesus will, will share later is, of course, um, as Scott mentioned, there's the Levite and there's the priest, and they you know, apparently avoid, the commentary would say that they avoid this man because it would render them unclean and unable to do their duty. And so really acting out of perhaps a religious obligation in their mind, they avoided this person. There's also a great deal of hostility. Well, no, I'm sorry, the victim is not um, a Samaritan. It's the person who does well. Um, so there's, they, they have reasons for not touching him. But the Samaritan comes, and there is this hostility between these, these two. And he overlooks all of that and takes care of him. But the real issue to me, the crux of this, is that Jesus doesn't answer the question. He tells the story... And then the question brought back to the scribe, the expert in the law, is who was neighbor to the victim? So the question then is not who is my neighbor, because we ask that question, and the reason that question is asked is because we, we approach our relationships in a transactional way, in obligations and rights. So if you're in my family, I have certain obligations and duties and rights to you or to and you to me, if you're in my tribe, if you're in my country, if you're in so on, this is if you're in my neighborhood. And this is how we often approach, you know, you owe me this. If you treat me this way, I'll treat you this way and so on. And so the question then is, okay, how, who's my neighbor? You know, what, what person puts these demands on me? And so I can avoid the ones who don't, or I, and I can know how to act. This is very legalistic approach. But Jesus says, who was neighbor to the victim? And then the response of the scribe is the one who acted with mercy. And Jesus is going to do likewise. And so that is the real question. The heart of it is not so much who is my neighbor, but the question is, who am I neighbor to? That's the question. And do I approach this in this transactional way? Who, I, who am I owe my love to? Who owes me love and respect? Or do I approach this as, this is the primary question, is am I neighbor? Am I neighbor to all? regardless of whether they're my friends or not, regardless of whether they agree with me or not, or have hostility towards me or whatever. And there's something that supersedes even my legalistic religious approach, perhaps something more important is, is this precise teaching, right? The one who acted with mercy, go and do likewise. That is amazing. Thank you. I love it because that's often how I've engaged um, that story. And also in thinking about, is my neighbor the one who needs me? Is my neighbor the one who needs mercy? Right. So with that in mind, we are in a time that is so divisive. And I'm listening to all of you. Many of you say, everybody's my neighbor. And, you know, then we are loving everyone. Is everyone to be loved? Like, is that a real statement? 
Love thy neighbor, love everyone. Like, are they included? And we started by talking about this weekend being a day of hate. So the people who are organizing this day of hate, are they my neighbor? And if so, what does it mean to love them? What does it look like to love all of my neighbors? I'll start. <laughs> um, so when you think about the people that you love in your life, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. We all make really bad choices. But we all have to deal with the consequences of our actions. And so sometimes love is tough love. And well, I might say to the neo-Nazi, I love you because there is a divine spark in you and I see that you are a human being, whether you hate me or not. I don't know the foundation for your hate. It is my job to know that I love you, but I do not have to like you. And I do not have to accept your actions. And because I love you, I want you to have to deal with the consequences of your actions. So if you're going to harm my community, and that means anybody in my community, then I will do my best to make sure you deal with those consequences and learn that tough love. Because sometimes that's how we really know we're loved. I was thinking about love in the different forms of love. I think it was spoken to early, earlier. You have storge, you have phileo, brotherly love, and you have eros. Um, and in each of those aspects of love, um, it's about relationship. Um, and there'll be times that, um, at least in eros, a romantic love, the relationship could be broken. Um, that there is no longer, unfortunately, uh, a marriage there, for example. Um, but there still could be love. Um, no longer a marriage, but still be love. Um, and so each area of that uh, type of love kind of shows us how to respond. And of course, the highest form of love is agape, right? Um, and, and only is possible through God's strength. Um, but I'm more concerned about uh, brotherly love. And I think that's what we spend most of our time talking about is brotherly love. And I think it is um, possible to love, but you got to understand. And the way, the way I, let me get down to the bottom line, how I really look at it when I have to focus on loving somebody, all right? Because there's times I, I gotta, need a little focus <laughs> to love someone because of whatever challenges may be there. I try to use the th rule of thumb that I'm re loving them regardless of. And that helps me to love regardless of. Whatever I think the reasons why I shouldn't or I'm having a challenge, I just say I'm gonna love them regardless of and not because of. And sometimes we're looking to love because of, and I may not feel like I have a because of, but regardless of brings me back to the foundation of how I treat people. And that's, think, that's how I measure loving. Okay, anybody else like to? 
I'll add on to that because um, it goes along with what you were just speaking on. At uh, E3, we're really focusing on this idea of a centered set, which is a math term. Uh, so we're going to get a little math nerdy for a moment. If you can think of all the positive numbers, you know, one to a infinity, that's a they, they're identified because they're positive. If you think of all the negative numbers, negative one to negative infinity, they're they're identified. So there's a boundary around them. There's positive. There's negative. Then you can go into fractions, and you can go into any norm num, number of ways of identifying a number. And we do that with people. It's not just neo-Nazis. It's based on our gender, based on our age, based on our sexuality, based on if I wear glasses or not, based upon my children, if I have children, if I'm married, if I'm not married, what kind of clothes I wear. There's a trillion different ways we box people into these sets of saying, you're a part of this table, so I'm not going to look at, I'm only going to look at you, I'm not going to look at you. We do this just instinctively. We herd our people together. And what we're trying to say is we have to find our relationship by the centered set, which is Jesus Christ. And that only through him, he accepted every single person, there are going to be things that I find maybe repulsive or not repulsive. There may be people I should reach out to or maybe I shouldn't for my own safety. But the point of it is, is that everyone has worth and everyone is worthy of accepting love and being loved. And so I have to really take my own preferences and my own labels upon how I think people are or look or maybe act or believe and put those secondary to what Christ calls me to do and be. I think, I think this is a challenging question, I mean, how to deal with, with people. And the example, Latricia, that you gave is, is something people who are dealing with us with violence. Um, and so I think that's obviously hard. I, so we're a nation of laws. So obviously we have laws against violence and things like that. And so if, if someone's in charge of enforcing the laws, they should enforce that. Um, that, that wouldn't be, I think, as, uh, as Stephanie said, I mean, tough love is an example you gave, right? So love is not necessarily just doing everything, but I do, I do want to hold up at least, I think this is, I could talk about this for a while, and in fact, this was last Sunday's readings for us, but in, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus says, offer no resistance to one who is evil, and to love your enemies and do good to them, and he says after that, uh, if, that if you love your enemies, you pray for them, and so on, then, then you will be like children of the Most High, so we become children of God by acting in this manner, Why? He says because he makes the sun rise on the good and the bad and the rain fall on the just and the, and the unjust. In other words, every single one of us is a beneficiary of creation and of existence. And none of us have deserved it. It's a gift that we've all just received every second of our life. The beauty that we live in, relationships, all of, the, all of that is, is on our side. And it's all a gift. And if I'm going to approach my brother and sister in a transactional way, about what you owe me and whatnot. So the meditation I gave this Sunday was if I was standing before God, he's like, okay, look, I gave you all of this. Every second of your life was a gift. This beautiful world you live in and, and music. I mean, everything we I could go on forever about how beautiful and how wonderful life is every second of my life. Why did you treat my, my other sons and daughters in this way? And what am I supposed to say? Well, they didn't agree with me on this or they did that or they, you know, they were mean to me or whatever. Like, like look, man, you know, like how have I acted? towards others like well I've done nothing to deserve the goodness that I've received you know I just received all of us are in that same boat so I think starting with that principle for me is so important to try to let go of again this this transactional thing and it's hard and I'm scared to do it I'm not gonna lie like to let go like what Jesus says in the rest of it is like if someone presses you into service for one mile go for the other go an extra mile if someone sues you give them even more than they're suing you for I mean that's crazy 
right? I mean, seriously, if someone came at me and tried to sue me, you know, for my truck, I'm not going to be like, well, take my boat too or something, you know? Like that's just, but why, why not? Like I'm afraid to live that way because I'm afraid people will manipulate me and take advantage of me or, or overpower me and so on. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with blessed are the meek. You know, lucky are you if you're not attached to material things. Lucky are you, blessed are you if you're not attached to power. If you're not, and then at the end, blessed are you if, if they persecute you and they, and they drag you before courts or whatever and they reject you. Like, you're like, like, have no attachments to all those things. Like, be attached to the good, you know? That's how you live. This is how you live. This is how you're supposed to live. So this is a challenging thing. So when I, if I was to meet a neo-Nazi, I mean, if you wanted to kill me, they don't like Catholics too. Um, the KKK doesn't like Catholics too. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think I would try to approach it, though, from that angle and not start thinking of, in my mind, I'm not a law enforcement officer and I'm not organizing society or making laws. So that's, I don't know. I think that's what I would offer. I, I think in every situation, though, it's also different. And we have to, that's what prudence dictates is trying to, okay, how do I apply this ideal in every concrete situation with every person I meet? So just a side point there. I, I think when we're talking about love and, and you know, we're not in law enforcement, so we can't arrest these people. Um, I think the scary part, you mentioned fear. I think oftentimes hate comes from fear. People are afraid of what they don't know. And unfortunately, the thing I think we fear most with this particular situation is not that law enforcement won't come to our rescue, though I'm, I know that can be questioned too, what I'm worried about most is my friends and brothers and sisters in this room who are sitting at a dinner table and somebody makes a Jewish joke and says, or says something, I'm gonna Jew you down, or says something about a black person, um, and you giggle, you let it slide, I ask that you show love for all of us and stand up to that person and say, that's not funny, right? Um, because we learned a while ago that they come for all of us eventually, right? It starts with the professors, then it went to the Jews, then it will go to the blacks, then it will go to the Catholics. We just can't be afraid. And you, if you're afraid of something, ask a question, right? Because I know all of us up here, if we don't know the answer, we'll talk to each other and we'll share it with you. So let's show love that way. Sorry, I just had to jump in there. So in my tradition, Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And we had a very lovely service. And our choir melodiously saying, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. Lord, I want to be more loving in my heart. To which my thoughts are, and what does that look like outside of our hearts? Because we often think that, you know, love resides in our heart and yes, I love everyone. What does that look like for real? Right, Because we're talking about times when we are so siloed, what happens when a person is actually attacking me physically or people that look like me or people in my group as we have siloed and I want to protect freedoms for people and I'm also trying to hold 
in tandem this idea of love, what does it actually look like? I just came back last week from Israel-Palestine, um, where we had all kinds of conversations around rethinking conflict. And before that, a few years ago in Northern Ireland, where we looked at the conflict there and what does reconciliation mean. And there are people who are actually being threatened, even now in the US, with real violence. What does it look like? Like outside of our hearts, Love is, I think, what love does. Oh, sorry. I haven't gone first yet, so I have to take this one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll just share a quick but, but I think fascinating story. Just for me, we have four children who are adopted, and they're all, all black and all very loud. Um, so if you ever hear something in Tallahassee, it's usually my kids. Um, and they're, they're delightful, but uh, the, the riots in 2020 were, were quite troubling for me because it took me out of kind of a, a what normalcy life felt like until 2020, where race riots just erupted again. And I was caught in this, this, weird, this weird crosshairs of, I don't know what I believe or where I am on the idea of race, and that there are people who are not only being unlawfully attacked because of their skin color, but they're also going to be targeted now. And I didn't know how long this was going to last. And so I just sat in my basement and, and cried and prayed. Um, and then that went into painting. And I just started painting because that was therapeutic for a moment. And then I started going into me crying and, 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 and whimpering and painting my basement's not going to make a difference. And so I went out to, in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is far away, but still we're all humans. And I said, we need to do a prayer rally tonight as these race riots are going on. And they said, no, that's not safe. But once it's safe, once law enforcement comes in, we should start doing prayer rallies. And so I went and found the Christmas Eve candles shoved away in the top of, of, a, of a box. And we figured out that during the pandemic, we could all go and light candles and just hold them until they would burn out and just pray together as a city. Because there is just this idea that doing something is better than doing nothing. And we all can do something. And that's what I just felt moved to do. Now, I can't do everything. None of us can do everything in our congregations, and that's what makes congregations impactful. We have hundreds, if not thousands, of people represented here who can stand up and say, no, blank is wrong, and we need to make a definite stand. We need to make an action statement out of our love, not just a passive uh, love in my heart. So, Yeah, I'm going down the same path, so thank you. I think one of the things I think we have to... I've been, first of all, I feel like I've been in a fight for love for some time. It's caused me to study and dig deep uh, um, about it. Um, and one of the things I think I want to say is that love do not mean agreeance. And I think that's the biggest crossroad when it's talking about love. It don't mean that I agree because I don't have to agree with you, but I can still love you. And if we think that love is about agreeing, then we will change the real nature of what love is. I think the scripture that Father Tim just used, um, that he reigned on the just as well as the unjust. And it's not because he agree with the unjust. Um, and so I think love is not about agreeing, and that's important. But love also has a very strong action part to it that when you find out someone else is not working in the best interests of love, that there is actions to be taken because of love. For example, if you love your body, this is a natural situation, 
Um, if you love your body, but unfortunately, and the Bible gives this same illustration, it's talking about conflict in love. That's really what it's talking about. If you're having an offense with your hand, your hand offend you, it says cut it off. You ever read that? Right? So it's the same thing. If your body, if your hand is no longer feeding and benefiting your body, but you love the rest of your body, then sometimes it may be a decision to live without your hand. And so that's love. Love also fights for the protection of all. And so this action part of love is that sometime into love, we have to take a right action. Now that's tough. That's conflict. But that's talking about love. And there are times we get to that place, we have to make tough decisions because of love. That's what it looks like. I feel like love, yes, it's in your heart, but it is so much in your mind. Your mind helps your heart balance and guides your actions. And, to, and love is tough. It's complicated. I come from a tradition where all we do is argue, but we're taught to love each other, right? To respect each other's opinion as long as they you know, are learned and people study together. But I'm reminded of a tradition that is not up here right now, um, which is um, Sikhism. And I remember a few years back, um, it's hard to pick which time there was a lot of hate going on, but there was a, a moment where, um, and I think it took place in England, there was a Sikh gentleman working in a store and someone had come in, didn't like the service, did, something happened, and this was a hateful man. He, he wasn't letting his mind work on the love part, and he got into this Sikh gentleman's face and was screaming all kinds of obscenities to him. You may not know in Sikh tradition, it's very similar to many of our traditions, but they are very focused on love and calm and not reacting to anger. Google it. <laughs> this man stood there while this person spit in his face, called him all kinds of things, and he just said, I'm here in love. I'm here in love. And so when there are times when that, that love is a challenge, right, and we, I choose to love in spite of those challenges, right? But it, I think of that in my head. If that man can stand there and say, I'm choosing to love, I'm choosing to just not engage in this, I can do it too. So I'm gonna push the envelope just a little bit as we get ready to um, ask if there are questions. Don't necessarily have to answer. Um, we'll see what we have time for. So in this idea of love and what love means, do I sit there? Let's say we were invited to do a panel around love thy neighbor and we're here. And let's say there are people who came that want to know what's up, but we're saying some things that just gets under their skin and really they're out for us in ways that we don't know. And this whole side over here, after we finish, everybody is planning to bum rush us violently. So we will not share and spread a message of love that is dangerous. Like it's coming, they're getting ready. Maybe we have some people, some friends on the other side who know us or are a part of our family. They're not a part of the bum rush crew. <laughs> when this group gets up 
with machetes and guns. I'm talking violence, whatever it is, because this is what really happens in the world, right? What is our loving response? You don't have to answer. You can just let it float in the air. <laughs> or anyone. Well, I, think, I, I think this is, speaks to what I think I'm trying to say here in terms of the difficulty of each situation. So our, in my tradition, in the Catholic Church, we've, there's been a lot of, of ink spilled and, and thought put into what, what constitutes a war that is just. You know, at, at what point um, is it okay to defend yourself or others and so on? And, and there's certain limits to that and so on. Um, I'm not in the, in the business of, of making war. Um, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church, so I'm not commanding any armies Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, wish it was the other way around, but just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> wish I had some armies, you know, why not? It'd be fun. Um, but I think, yeah, again, it's like there's something to me that's extremely attractive to the idea of not, not, viol- not being violent. I mean, that's, would I act like that if you all came at me right now? I think the Marine in me would want to start kicking butt, and I probably would kick y'all's butt. Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I think there's an ideal in me that says that I really try to, to follow that, which is the, to turn the other cheek and to offer no resistance to one who is evil. And I think if we're trying to make a, a program for society for that, is that practical? Perhaps not, but it's something we should shoot for. I think we, we put a man to death yesterday. You know, I think that's sad. Are you reading about his story? I mean, of course, depending on which news uh, you read, it's a cop killer, you know, and, and he was, and, and he was, he did horrible things. Uh, he killed someone when he was 15, then he escaped from prison and killed another person. He also suffered a lot of abuse as a child. He also was a victim of, of uh, prenatal alcohol abuse or whatever. So all these things, and he was abused in the prison system as well. Are we really writing anything by killing this man, you know, 30 something years later? I would say no, right? How do, how do we really conquer violence? How do we really conquer evil? It's not through more of that. So I don't know what I would do if someone was charging me. I, probably, I might defend myself. I probably would. But there's something that at least I, I'm, I'm very attracted to. And I think all of us are see the good. And like the example you just gave of, of, that, of that, um, that man taking that abuse. If he had started kicking butt, there's a part of us that would be like, all right, you know. But there's something very attractive. And it's seemingly to me just good, self-evidently good and beautiful about that way of acting. All right. You want another answer? Sure. And then we, this is the last one, and then we've got to go to the questions if there are questions. I'll be really quick. I, I think there's times to stand up for love. I think we've, we've learned that. And I also think that there's times to sit down. Um, and we've learned that too. And I think those of us here um, that have faith, um, for whatever faith that is, we have traditions that we do. Um, and I, I think I would, depending on the situation, if somebody was coming out with me, me with a machete and I was by myself, I would sit down and say the Shema, which is our foundational Jewish prayer, Hero Israel, the, love, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And I would just sit and say, because that's me sharing my love of life with whoever is at me. Yeah. Thank Living you. Living on Father Tim's side, that's what I know. <laughs> I, 
I was going to say also in reference of February being Black History Month, I also think we can bring into focus that we had a, uh, a di great demonstration of what love can look like even in the form of sacrifice and pain. So uh, we see civil rights march, just that happen. And of course, it's maybe the love for uh, the African-American people, but it's also for the love and respect that other people need to have. So it's very sacrificial on that one that, they t that was taken on for civil rights. And I think that's another illustration of love, um, very candid expression of love. And it, and it was painful as well. Um, many, many people lost their lives um, in order to love and to show love and to express and fight for love. And so I think it brings us into focus, a real life illustration um, of what love is as well. I just want to modify one little thing to make it clear. I, we would be, this makes more sense to me to say it this way. I would be within my rights to defend myself. Yes. Okay. But what I think this ideal is transcends that legalistic approach, right? So we have a right to defend ourselves, have a right to do this perhaps, but that's part of the problem is we approach everything in that mindset. And then what I think my Lord is calling me to is to transcend that, um, to think bigger than that. There's something more, I would be, if someone came into my house and attacked me, I have the right to defend myself legally and perhaps ethically, but it would be something beautiful to not, I think even if it meant me you know, getting hurt or dying. There's something beautiful about that. Back to your question, your original question, Latricia, love is complicated. <laughs> That's what love is. All right, now is a chance, um, is a moment that you, if you have any questions, raise your hand. There's a microphone coming around. Are there any questions that you're burning to ask? There's one. Uh, this is how I was thinking about the question you just asked, but this is more personal nature. I'm having lunch with Latricia and Stephanie tomorrow. I'm not, but tomorrow, and it's National Hate Day, which me too, which I had no idea of. Okay, and some crackpot comes into the luncheon and somehow sums up Latricia's pretty easy that she's African American and that Stephanie's Jewish and goes after both of them. Now I'm sitting there. My reaction is not to pray. Are you gonna pull out your machete and I'm, protect us? I'm gonna pull out my unlicensed, unauthorized- <laughs> Oh, please don't. Carry that's out in the open and take them out, yeah. And that's <laughs> why I'm glad you're a member of St. <laughs> Paul's. <laughs> okay. Which cleans the office. No, I get it, I get it. Interesting. Anybody, anybody else? Yes. I really appreciate all of you and the Village Square for helping us create our commons again for conversation. And I'm glad you've taken it from love to action and creating good. I'm a counselor, so I've spent years, decades, working to enter a person's experience and find the place to connect and love and create, you know, change. When the national politics happened in the past years, it became really hard to uh, feel who is it who um, 
doesn't want to care for each other, who voted certain ways, who uh, doesn't care for the environment. It was, I felt myself kind of shrinking back and looking at people I didn't know, and that felt bad. I kind of got over it, I've come out, and certainly I have felt Tallahassee here, I'm not feeling that. Well, I happen to be the mother of a candidate in the last election. And I'm feeling it again because lies were part of the campaign. And my question became here. Who is not standing up against that? And I just, and I'm having a hard time with my extended neighbors. And I don't want that to be me, and I know I'll come forward more. And I read, again, and I read something about the Dutch Resistance Museum just recently, which is about how the Dutch people, you know, were reacted to the Nazis invading in World War II. And it's been a museum that shows heroism. But they've recently begun another part of it that shows everybody's experience. Some people went with the Nazis. Some people stood back and did nothing. So this is really controversial right now about that museum, but lots of people are feeling like the nuance of where are we, how can we be heroes? And are we gonna be heroes by doing this little bit here? That's okay. Or heroes by really sticking our necks out. And I guess I really wanna just hope and say and ask for support in helping people identify where on that spectrum of heroism we can each be to bring our society forward. Truth, goodness, love. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Can I say something about that? As well. I, I think there are different levels of heroism and I know that you know, some people can stand up and fight. You look at the Warsaw Ghetto, you talk about the Holocaust. There were a group of people who, who got up and challenged and fought till the death. And then there were people who, in their own way, just quietly did what they felt they could do to help. And I think when we talk to each other, when we communicate, you may not always get the point across that you want, but we have to learn from each other and with learning, that's how we learn to love people. And I think when we talk about heroism, we can't focus on the extremes of it. People just need to know, even if I do this one little thing, like if you just stood up and said no, that's an act of heroism if we were being attacked, right? Um, think a thought. Put your vote in the ballot box. Those are all ways of showing people that you love them and standing up and being heroes. I was thinking as well, more of a local and vicinity heroism. Um, we're going back to the, the principle of who is my neighbor, but I'm also just thinking about 
doing what you can to what's close to you. Many times the problem seems so big, the challenge or issue seems so big that we may be missing opportunities that is right close to us to express our care, express our love, and to make a difference. And I think many times, um, even with the lesson of who is my neighbor, and we do come to agreement that everybody's our neighbor, but also it just thinks us to also say, because the story is about passing by someone. So I think there are things we miss and pass by that is very close to us, and that's our opportunity for, I want to say this part, for having tough conversations. And those have been one of the ways that I know I have taken on the challenge of love, is challenging myself to prepare myself for tough conversations. Thanks. Um, I think that all of us have been in situations where somebody in a conversation shows us that they totally disagree with our perspective. And my tendency initially is to get away from them. Like, you know, I don't want anything to do with this person because I'm never going to change their mind. And I think that's where we need to start in attempting to change what's going on. We can't start when we're in a January 6th situation and think about what will we do. We try and save our own life, probably, or somebody else's. But when you're in a conversation where somebody disagrees, saying to them, I don't really understand that. Help me understand how you came to believe that. What happened that made you think that way? Those are not uh, statements that are going to make them defensive. Those are things that give them the opportunity that are saying to them, I'm willing to listen. I care about your opinion. Share it with me. And you may never change their mind, but at least they would come away saying, well, here's a person who sees it differently, but at least they listened to me. Just to add on to that, just from a personal note, when we adopted our children, we had one family member who just totally cut, cut off all communication with us as a family. And it wasn't until about six months ago that we were at a family gathering and they actually reached out and hugged our eldest, who's now 13, 14. I know how old my kid is, 14 years old. And it was just this moment of seeing this tremendous breakthrough that sometimes we think we need to have an immediate conversation, it has to be immediately over coffee, it has to be here. It t- this takes decades. And I think the people who spread hate think and have figured this out, it takes generations to adjust this. It's not going to be a quick fix. It's spreading love takes time. And that's uh, sometimes frustrating, but it's worth the effort. That's good. That's great. Um, I find love can often blossom in places of brokenness. My daughter, today's the anniversary of my daughter's brutal murder. She was tortured and butchered by a black man. She had just moved to Colorado to go to graduate school. And after three years of trials, people kept asking me, don't you hate black people? And I said, no. I said, I don't hate any people. That's just who I am. And this could have been done by a person of any color. And I was angry with God, and I let God know every day. I sounded like a sailor. Language was coming out of my mouth I didn't know I was capable of. And my minister, who was so brilliant and loving, he sat and he listened to me weekly. He never said, you shouldn't feel that way. He let me feel 
every bit of my pain. And then I dropped to my knees three months later because I was going to take my own life, and I had a surviving daughter. And I said, God, you have to get me up. I know you have a mission for me now. And he did. And I went to see my minister, and I said, can we get on our knees and pray? And he said, yes. And I knew God would come to you and pick you up when the time was right. But what I did and what I have learned, I created a scholarship fund. I now have 40 children throughout the country that have come from broken places. Their parents or siblings or guardians have been murdered. I have children of inmates, domestic violence, rape, carjackings, all kinds of broken pieces. And God has given me, if you will, a ministry of sorts to reach out and work with them. And now I have uh, 24 that have graduated. I engage them and force them. They have to listen to me when they sign that fine print <laughs> that they have to have grief counseling. I talk to them about their faith. I don't push faith onto them. I pray with them. And no, you can still find hope if you will let God. He has filled me with so much love. It just doesn't stop. And it continues to pour out. And I am thankful for that every day. So wherever your broken places are, use them. And they can be used good for good to help so many other people. And the rewards are amazing. Thank you. Wow. And I think we have one more question. Thank you for that. That was. Wow. I'm sorry. Is... <laughs> um, my name's Alicia Smith, and I'm the chair of the safety committee at Temple Israel here in Tallahassee. First of all, this is one of the best God squads I've been to, and I've been to a lot. I appreciate the concept of talking about love on the eve of a day of hate. I mean, think about that for a moment, a national day of hate. So what I am asking all of my Christian friends, Christian pastors in this room is surround us and protect us with love. I would, we have doubled our security for our temple for our children coming to Sunday school this weekend, how much more wonderful would it be if everybody in this room came to the temple and joined hands and made a bead circle around us? Or from the pulpits you all preached, 71% of, of Americans believe one or more negative tropes about Jews. <laughs> Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that in the name of love. And um, thank you for, particularly Stephanie, for bringing up the concept of, um, of protection for us this weekend. I just want to endorse what she just said, that we have a tremendous opportunity to pour out our prayers for these broken people tomorrow, for this weekend, forever. People who are so broken by hatred. So let us cover them with our prayers. Thank you. Can we give Tony a quick second? I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, 
I, I just wanted to ask a question to all of you. You're all referencing, and a lot of people here in the audience obviously were referencing God, <clears throat> and all of you reference Jesus except Stephanie, of course. <clears throat> but my question is, do you, do all of, any of you, or all of you, uh, can, can you conceive of having love without having a God? Yes. 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 I would have, I will say this, I know what you're looking for. <laughs> I think absolutely, that's a natural, there's something, because I believe God created us, I think there's a natural instinct to do these things and so on, but I think without God, you have a very hard time de uh, defending it rationally in an intellectual way, why someone should love. I, I, as we've said before, to get from a statement of fact to a should, I think is impossible. So I think, yeah, you can. Does that answer your question? <laughs> because also with God, we still need help. <laughs> we always need help. So with that, um, we are coming to a close. And I want to point out that um, we started by asking kind of who is my neighbor? And printed was, you know, does it really mean everybody? And we didn't necessarily point out all the kinds of different ways we have divisions and hatred and animosity, whatever it is, Republicans, Democrats, white people, black people, gay people, straight people, like all the isms, whatever, different religions, right? Whatever it is. And when I think about neighbor in its expanded form, what if we all did our very best to be the best versions of ourselves and we allowed other people to grow into the best versions of themselves, understanding that this really is complex? I started with talking about math and thank you for the addition of math and that everything simple is not easy. In mathematics, sometimes we are doing and solving problems and we come out with real solutions. Sometimes we come out with what's called irrational solutions. Sometimes we come up with what is called imaginary <laughs> solutions. And in our conversations, there are things that often feel real, or irrational or imaginary? And how can we draw on our own faith traditions to decide how it is we're going to live in the world? And as we leave, I want you to think about the, the story, the narrative, the parable that we started with. And my question is, for whom are you willing to stop? When you pass the person on the side of the road, in whatever that means, for whom are you willing to stop? For whom are you willing to fight? For whom are you willing to spend your time when you have some things to get to and somewhere to go? That will answer for us who we actually think our neighbor is. And we can grow from there but often we need to come out of the theoretical into the practical and understand what's actually going on on the inside of us
so that we can grow and become better. That is all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for a truly inspiring God squad. Corey Nathan back here with you. And I just got a riff here. I, I started taking notes, but then there are some programs that you just got to sit down and just listen and uh, soak it in. And I, when the folks started talking and the question was, what is love? And being that there was a rabbi and pastors, I sensed that we were going to go to scripture and we did. And But my head immediately went to the answer I might have given in my youth, uh, doing Shakespeare rap. <laughs> and uh, Silvius, the shepherd boy from As You Like It, good shepherd, tell this youth what tis to love. And Sylvia says, it is to be all made of sighs and tears. And so am I for Phoebe. And he goes on, he says, it is to be all made of faith and service. It is to be all made of fantasy, all made of passion and all made of wishes, all adoration, duty, and observance, all humbleness, all patience and impatience, all purity, all trial, all observance. And so am I for Phoebe. <laughs> I can't shake that sense of love, that um, that image of love, that rapture, if you will. But that's the love that I thought of as a youth. But, you know, as we get older and wiser, we begin to think of love in a different way, as an action verb, not as a moment of passion. Um, and and by the way, uh, Shakespeare is wonderful, uh, such wisdom in Shakespeare. So yes, to answer the gentleman at the end, um, it, for folks uh, maybe that don't believe in God or are agnostic and are uh, questioning uh, the existence of God, or maybe more questioning religion, um, the the there are there is great beauty and inspiration in not just Shakespeare, but in great literature and great art. So there's inspiration from all places. Uh, and I'm sure we could have a great God squad just about that, but not to go off the rails here too much. But yes, as a, as a believer myself, I, I also think of, of scripture, you know, I think it was, I think it was Pastor Joe who said, who referred to some scripture, love is patient, love is kind. And it, it, that that piece of scripture goes on. It does not envy. It does not boast. But then where does love really kick in? Love kicks in, not when things are going well. You know, any virtue, really, the freedom of speech, uh, the freedom of expression. These are virtues that many of us share in common that we value. They're not tested when folks agree with us. They're tested if we take just that scripture that, that Pastor Joe is referring. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Well, what if my neighbor is impatient, is unkind, is envious and boastful? That's where our love kicks in. And it's not always this fawning love. Sometimes love means you a hard love. Sometimes love in action means tough love. Yes, tough love. So I just want to express that. It's inspiring and encouraging to know that there's a community of people and a diverse range of religious leaders, as well as folks who are participating in these conversations who are not religious, 
or maybe are atheists or agnostics. It's encouraging to know folks across a diverse array of views and political beliefs and religious beliefs can come together and ask these hard questions. What is love? Not a simplistic definition, but really dive into it. And what does that look like in action? And what does that look like? What does that look like when it's tough to love somebody? Lots to think about. Lots to think about. So with that, it's time to close out today. Please consider joining our members and supporting this program. You can become a member for just $7 a month or $76 a year. And your business can join for $250. Go to villagesquare.us slash donate to join today. That's villagesquare.us slash donate. While you're there, sign up for Village Square's newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square. Go to villagesquare.us and scroll to the bottom for the sign-up box. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Check out Florida Humanities online at floridahumanities.org. That's floridahumanities.org. Remember, Village Squarecast is part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. We appreciate you listening to Love Thy Neighbor, No Exceptions. <laughs> I think we got the answer to that tonight. So until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Squarecast.